up, mamas? It's Tanika Ray. I was a television host for 20 years before my entire life blew up when I had a baby. Shifting gears from red carpets to a gig called Mom required a whole new game plan. The carefree, globe-trotting boss babe me was suddenly in search of a mommy tribe to help me navigate the inevitable fumbles and fails of raising a kid. Mama Stay with Tanika Ray is a sanctuary for the mommy collective, where we amplify our self-love and self-care, trade tips on raising conscious kids, help each other fine-tune our boundaries, and celebrate the highs while forgiving ourselves for the lows in the wild, 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 wild world of mommying AF. Hello. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 54. This one is literally smack dab in the middle of election season. We are all at a fever pitch right now as there are a lot of narratives, a lot of opinions, a lot of conflicting ideologies really hitting the highest pitch of anxiety and tap dancing on our nervous systems right now. We all want to be responsible citizens. I don't think we live in a time where we have the privilege to just sort of check out and stay distracted and not take part. I don't know very many people. I know when I grew up, we easily were like, whatever, who cares? But now these young kids are, these millennials and these Gen Xers are tapped in. They're seeing what's going on and they want to stay involved. So I wanted to bring a mama on, a mama friend on who I reconnected with on Clubhouse during the, really the height of the pandemic, where if you aren't familiar, Clubhouse is a, was a platform that started right when the pandemic started, like April of 2020. It is a social audio platform where you literally go on a stage and you talk with people you never, possibly never know, never see in person, but it is all audio. And what is so incredible about that is that I really started to form deep and (laughs) profound bonds with people that I never met in real life. Something about listening to someone's voice, much like on a podcast, you can connect on a very deep level. It is said that podcast and social audio networks really connect people so deeply because it speaks to us at a chakra level. So all of our chakras are activated. It's our third eye and our throat chakra, especially since we're using our voice, our heart chakra, because we're hearing things that are really resonating with us. And we don't have the distraction of what they look like, where they're from, Their background, it's just thoughts and ideas and sharing space. So I was super excited to reconnect with a sister girlfriend in journalism, a woman who has manifested a varied career across many networks. She not only has been a contributor for numerous outlets like NPR, Ebony Magazine, Essence, but she was a special correspondent for the Oprah Winfrey Show. She was at MSNBC. She was at NBC, ABC as a correspondent, Good Morning America, and most recently an investigative correspondent for the Dr. Oz Show. Her dedication to reporting the news, she says it's a duty and an honor to report what's going on in the world. She's the kind of journalist you trust as she brings dignity to every story. 
please welcome mother of two and four-time Emmy-winning journalist, Mara Schiavacampo. Something about women in news, punctual, on it, always prepared. But you know what else we have? And I put me in that. We can change an entire vibe, clothes, hair, makeup, in about 34 seconds. <laughs> Absolutely. We are masters of the quick change. Masters of the quick change. Okay, you went from mommy wear in a gray t-shirt to literally a red carpet, show them what you're working with dress. But you know, a dress, that's an easy switch, especially when you're, you know, 10 feet from your bedroom. <laughs> it is. How are you? Thank you for coming on Mama's Day. I'm good. I am so looking forward to this conversation. Wait, can I tell you my favorite quick change story that I've been dying to tell publicly because it is one of my favorite like work stories ever? Please okay. give it to me. So I'm covering the BT Awards for DMA. And I actually think we met there one year. Oh, yeah. That's where we first met. Yeah. And Tracy Ellis Ross is posting. So I'm backstage. So I'm grabbing people as they come and go. So I'm seeing Tracy Ellis Ross in all these different outfits. And she stops to talk to us at one point. And you know, she's bubbly and super friendly and just amazing. And so I asked her about the quick changes of her outfits. And she says, oh, well, now I have my quick change down to like 10 minutes. It's really fast. And we're, we're kicking. We're having this girl for a moment. And I said, oh, look at you. You're just like Beyonce. And she, her whole vibe changed. And her serious face came on. And she looked at me and she said, my mother invented the quick change. And I was like, you got me all the way together. You are absolutely right. <laughs> Beyonce stands on the shoulders of Miss Ross. I stand corrected. <laughs> you know what? Facts and more facts. She's right, though. Facts and more facts. We never see Tracy Ellis in that serious moment, but that was a moment that required it. You're right. We all stand on the shoulders of Madame Diana Ross. <laughs> she, yeah, she so I, and I, complete, I, I was right. She was right to get me together and we can't forget who came with ever. You know what I love that about, especially black women that are self-empowered and confident. We don't take that as shade. We're like, sis, yeah, I'm going to now take that message and pass it on, <laughs> right? Yes. Well, because the correction has to come from the right spirit. You know, some people are trying to make you small. She was trying to remind us all of what her mother had accomplished. And so it came, you know, the right spirit and I received it in that spirit. But I love that story. Because, you know, you have to you have to remember, remember where you came from. Her mom is still doing it, too. Can you imagine what that closet looks like? I was like, Tracy, can we just do a field trip in that closet? Like, what is happening? Uh, I I connect with her natural hair spirit. I connect with Oprah. I mean, these women were so lucky that we have them in our atmosphere. Well, you know, there's so much to be celebrated. And to that end, you know, I had natural hair until I was in the sixth grade. And this was not by choice. My mother wore an Afro because, you know, she was a child of the civil rights movement. And so she forced me and my sister to have natural hair, even though that was like the worst thing possible because everybody had a relaxer. Everybody's hair was in these cute braids with the little balls on them. That's what I got made fun of about that. My hair was nappy, you know, so that was the thing that I was ridiculed about. So I remember the day I got my first relaxer was one of the happiest days of my life. That's up there with my wedding day and the day that I gave birth to my children. I was so happy that day. Now, in hindsight, I understand how problematic it is that having great hair gave me that much joy. But as a child to finally have that, that's where we call it a shooky hair. 
and finally have shooky hair just made my world. So my daughter now fast forward, my daughter's 10 years old now. When she was, she has the most amazing curly hair. I mean, her curls are dreamy. She has wash and go hair. Like you wash it, no product, no conditioner, nothing. The curls are just popping. And so when she was about two, you know, I'm a big, big glam girl. So I just wanted to play. This wasn't about rejecting her curls. I love her curls. I I stand for her curls, but I just wanted to play a little bit. So when she was two, I said, well, let me straighten your hair. So she wasn't looking in the mirror. She was turned away from the mirror and I did it with a blow dryer, really gentle, cool heat. You know, then I did a little flat iron, low heat. I put, you know, straighten her hair. I turn her around. She sees the mirror and she starts crying. And she says to me, two years old, don't ever do this to me again. And that for me was so revealing that she was not, by the grace of God, she was not getting the same messaging that I had gotten as a child, that she was horrified at her curls being gone. And she thought it was permanent. So she was like devastated. And I said, no, 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 we'll just wash it. It'll be, your curls will be back tonight. But that was such a beautiful moment in seeing that she like truly loves her curls. And that makes me so happy. That's going to make me cry. That's so powerful because our babies, they're different than we were. They have so much more autonomy. They have so much more freedom. They have so much more clarity about who they are. Maybe it is because of the reflections out there. My daughter's the same. They stand for their natural hair. Whether you wear braids, whether you wear locks, I think all of it is so beautiful and a part of the tapestry of who we are as Black women. And let's just think that when you first started on TV, because I remember seeing you with your natural hair, that was revolutionary. Like it was so notable that I remember seeing you on air and being like, oh my God, that girl has natural hair because we were not allowed to do that. If I tried to show up on air with my natural hair or with any quote unquote ethnic style, braids, twists, anything like that, I would literally not have been allowed to go on the air. And if I slipped through the cracks and made it on television, you better believe my phone would have been blowing up the moment that I got off the air with some higher up saying, we have to talk about your hair. Yep. So it's amazing that we've come to, the, I just wore braids on CNN a couple of weeks ago and I almost cried because it was my first time ever wearing any kind of natural style on the air. And I just thought, wow, I'd never, and nobody even batted an eye. And I thought that's so beautiful that we get to really lean into our authentic selves like I remember getting my braids done once for vacation and saying to the braider let's make them really big because I'm not going to keep them long and when I get back I'm going to take them out because I can't wear braids to work and she paused and she said you can't wear braids to work and like her reaction made me realize how sad that was like no I can't I gotta take these out as soon as I get back for the beach so I just love I mean there are a lot of things wrong with where we're at but there's a lot of things right and I love that we can celebrate that's right whatever you focus on grows, right? So if we focus on all the positive things and that will beget more positive things, but you're right. I, I think it's because I was in entertainment. I couldn't have done it where you were GMA. I mean, I just couldn't do it there. I was there to interview Robin Roberts and be on set at NBC, but I was the entertainment girl. So it was kind of a little easier, whatever way that I could have been a part of helping us knock open that door. I am proud every single day. How have you seen, and we're going to talk shop for a second, because you've been in this business in like really severe, serious situations. Again, I come from entertainment. I don't know how you guys do what you do, talking about all the horrible things happening in the world and how we can try to navigate. How have you seen the industry change from when you started to now? 
Well, you know, the thing is that now it's a lot more fragmented and it's a lot more fractured, which is a good and a bad thing. So I think having few voices and having those voices really all owned by the same corporations, that doesn't serve anybody. And now we're in a place where there's so many places to get your information from, so many amazing places to get your information from. The kind of the big, big players are shrinking really rapidly. So it's kind of humbling them and making them a little hungry, which I think is a good thing. And, and there's niche all over the place. I mean, whatever your area of interest is, you can find somebody that's serving that. I think what's really, really, really dangerous and terrible about the industry right now, and I think it's part of the reason that the country is falling apart, is that we're in an algorithm-based world and the media is algorithm-based. So when you are looking you know, through a news feed, they're giving you more of what you stop and pay attention to. And when you read an article, they know how long you've stayed on that article. They know how far you've gone into the article. And so all that thing, all of those things are driving coverage. What are they going to cover? How are they going to cover it? How far up in the page is something going to go? And then, you know, of course, the, the TV networks, which are not algorithm-based, because they, they do their programming ahead of time, but they are ratings-based. So they see what works and what doesn't work, and they adjust it, you know, as well. So the problem with that is that people, it's this, it's this cycle where people think they're looking out of a window. They think they're looking at the world and seeing the world as it is. When really they're looking in a mirror, they're just seeing their own interests reflected back to them. And that makes us all very narrow-minded and makes our world very small and makes us very intolerant. And I think that's a huge problem. I get my news from various sources, but what I realized during the pandemic was exactly what you said. We're hearing this sort of corporate narrative coming down and who owns the corporations? Are they people that I align with or not? And working in news, I know, because I tried to pitch many a stories that were positive, that were feel good, that would actually expand the view on what a type of person is like. And there was no room for that. So I started feeling like I was getting more negative watching the news, that it was bringing my vibrations down. So I don't stay up to date with all the shenanigans going on. It actually makes me more peaceful. I'm more loving. I get snippets of what the world looks like. I know it's dark, but I don't need somebody telling me on the news, oh my God, it's death and destruction. Oh, the world is... So in terms of kind of what you were talking about, the, the vibrations and the energy, you know, energy is contagious and it's contagious on the telephone. It's contagious through the television. It's contagious on social media. And anybody who's ever opened up a social media app, in one mood and spent a couple minutes there and then left in a completely different mood knows they, they've had that experience. And so I think protecting your energy is really, really, really wise. And giving yourself permission to protect your energy is really, really wise. And that was actually one of the big like personal transformations for me from the pandemic and how awful that time was, is that I always felt spiritually, I had to be strong enough to fight the dark, right? That I have to face it. I have to confront it, whatever it is. I'm just going to stand up to it and fight it. And a girl after the pandemic, I was like, bitch, just avoid it. <laughs> Why do you have to fight the dark? Just stay away from me. And so that has been like my mood for the last like two years is people, places, things that bring me down. I'm just going to avoid it. I don't want to fight that fight unless I have to. If I have to, I'm about it. I'm built for war, but I prefer peace. So let me protect my peace. How do you keep yours outside of, well, it is your industry and you're so good at it. 
So that's something that I'm having a hard time really grappling with is I'm great at this, but I want to keep my vibes high. Well, you know, I've made it very, very simple. And it for my entire career up until the pandemic, I put myself second in terms of my energy, my vibration, all the things you're talking about, where I thought it was my duty to bear witness to all of this suffering. It gave a lot of meaning to my work. And there's there's a tremendous amount of value in that, that shining the light on suffering has value in and of itself. The only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone and in darkness. And so that's what I would always tell myself that I was doing something that had value to not only to the audience, but to the people who were affected. And I took that very, very, very seriously. A lot of people think the journalists are cynical and you know dishonest. They can't be trusted. I took very, very seriously my, I say this in past tense because I don't do straight reporting anymore. I took very seriously my duty to people I was covering. I never, ever, ever forgot for one second that these are real human beings. These are not stories. This is someone who has lost a loved one. This is someone whose home has been destroyed in a storm or a natural disaster. This is someone whose livelihood has gone away. I took that very, very seriously. And so I wanted to honor their suffering by bearing witness to it, even though it was tearing me apart and it was manifesting in my life in so many different ways, you know, emotionally shutting down, which affected my relationships because I had to shut down a little bit so that I could go tell the story of this woman who lost her child. And so it was affecting me in all these different ways. And then in the pandemic, I just, you know, I said, I can't do it like this anymore. I have to put me first because nobody else is going to protect me. I am the only person who's going to protect me. And so the only time I engaged with these things when I have to, like if I'm being called on to do commentary on it, if there's some, if there's some work-based reason to engage. And, you know, I will tell you the shooting of the kids in Texas, even the little snippets I was picking up from social, I, I avoided that story like the plague because I have two children in elementary school. Even the little snippets I was picking up broke me down. And I just can't, I can't anymore. I can, I'm only one person, you know, I've done, I've done my duty. And now, now I'm in the stage of life where I have to protect myself. So you're done. You're ready to walk away from that part of your life. No, no, I'm, I'm, it's transitioning. So it's different. So in terms of straight news reporting, like going out and covering a story today, I haven't done that in years. And that was a very clear decision that I made. I did not want to do that work anymore. I had outgrown it. It's um, a burnout job. It's a grind. And so it was just wasn't something, if, if I'm going to do something, I have to be really excited and passionate about it. If it's going to take me away from my babies and my family, if it's going to take my time and attention, I have to be really excited and passionate about it. I, was, I did not feel that way about reporting anymore. And I'm talking about like day-to-day general assignment, like what I had done most of my career. And I started to feel that way years before I said, I can't do this anymore. So by the time I got to the end, I was like really burnt out. And so that phase is over. But taking that experience, taking my experience in media and in journalism, I'm now using it in, in several different ways. So whether it's hosting news specials, which I just did something for Revolt, doing commentary on cable news, which I really enjoy doing. By the way, it's the hardest thing I've ever done doing, you know, different projects with like social related to social media. Like those are the ways that I'm channeling this energy now. I honor you so much. And I say that because it's not easy for people to do that. What I've noticed is people like to hold up because it is a coveted position, right? The jobs that we've been able to hold on to that we've been able to accomplish, they are coveted. And people would do anything to be in those positions. But when you're present, when you put yourself first, when you honor universe, 
you realize, okay, I've done this for seven years. This chapter may be over and there's nothing wrong with that. We're not meant to be lifers in anything. And I think I've said that because you and I have been on Clubhouse together talking about the news and the state of news and where we're supposed to go. And I just truly feel when you hold on and you're clutching something, you're denying yourself blessings going forward, right? I don't think you're meant to be stuck in a job for 50 years because you have a pension. They trap you there. So you can utilize your talents and your skills for something maybe more great, more beneficial today in 2022, which is a very different world than it was in even 2019. So I think about this a lot. Like, how can I use, because I got burnt out from talking about who you're dating, what do you wear? I mean, who cares? Who cares? You know, I did an interview with Common and he wrote this incredibly transparent book about being molested and how that changed him. And, and Extra wanted to make it about who he's dating. And it's just depressing because we're so multi-layered and we keep hitting the same bullseye over and over. And that for me, I just, we are helping to distract the world by doing the same thing over and over. It is time for us to all do something different with our blessings. You've been skilled and you've been blessed in such a beautiful way. If you can snap your fingers, how would you use your skills and impress upon the world? You know, that's a million dollar question. And that's a question that I am trying to figure out as well. You know, I ask the divine mother that all the time is what would you have me do? You know, your will, not mine. And I truly believe that uncertainty is God's way of telling you to just wait. And so I only do the things that I'm certain of. So the things that I'm really, really interested in. So those things, that's an easy yes. And, you know, I know immediately when an opportunity comes up and it like lights that spark in me, that's very clear. And there have been a lot of opportunities that I've said no more in the last two years than I've ever in my entire career. If I'm not excited and on fire about doing something, I am not doing it. So that's been, you know, it's, it's kind of the, where the spiritual and the professional meet each other. Because if the only reason I'm doing something is to serve my ego, then that's the wrong reason. If the only reason I'm doing it is so the world will think I'm doing big things or I'm being impressive or I have this job or that's the wrong, I can't live for the world. And I cannot live for my ego because she will destroy me. Honey, <laughs> I'm you just, just you gave know, me taking- such goosebumps because... <laughs> Look, I feel very rare in this industry because I make moves and I utilize my no in the most beautiful fashion, but it's not typical. I'm sure people think I'm lame or stupid or I make the wrong decisions. I don't care because the most important thing is that my soul's intact, that I can walk through the world joyful. And most importantly, and I I read this on Instagram and it changed my life. I can't just settle for anything. My daughter's watching. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful. Because as much as we were talking about vibrations, we can understand that we have the emotional intelligence. Our children aren't necessarily there yet. All they do is replicate our energy. So if we're being bogged down by all the negativity in the world, they're being affected and they're going to act out accordingly. Yeah. And I, and I am always, you know, very conscious of the fact that my daughter more so than my son, because I feel like, you know, you get a lot more cues from the same um, sex parent but that she's watching and how I want to show up in the world for her. 
And, you know, I think one of the reasons that I'm so confident is my mother, I never saw my mother look in the mirror and like make a, a, a nasty face or say like, oh, I looked at, do I look fat? And never, my mother knew she was shutting the shit down on a daily basis. And so I absorbed that from her. And I now seek to be that in a very clear way to my daughter. So the other day I was looking at myself in the mirror and, I, and she was in the room with me. So I was aware that she was watching me and I started talking about how fun I am. I was like, damn, I'm cute. And, then, and she's like, she's like, mommy, you can't say that. And I said, why? She said, because people are going to think that you think you're better than them. And I said, no, you have to understand this. Loving yourself does not mean that you are putting other people down. Those two things are not in conflict. I can know that I'm a bad bitch and I can know that you're a bad bitch. Both things can be true. And so I want her to see that. I want her to see me loving me. And I, I try to do that as often as possible. Because, you know, I, they're the mess of the world will tell you you have to play small so that you don't make other people feel intimidated. And that's just, I'm not here for that. I want to play big and I want everybody else to play big. Woo, that's a bar, girl. That is a bar. <laughs> I am so here for that. And you nailed it because my daughter is one of these light-filled little fairies. She started school in kindergarten, high and loving. And, and those little kids who were unhappy slowly but surely started to chip away at her little bubble of light. And so I'm now watching a girl and we have these conversations often because I check her on that. I'm like, wait a minute. You usually would dance there. What's going on? Well, my friend said that I'm weird. No, 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 baby. They just don't know how to vibrate high like you. We have to be so intentional with the messages we send them. So intentional because there's so many people out there, even as early as preschool, who will try to knock their shine down. The first person that's going to do it, the most impactful is us. So I've been very clear with my daughter. I grew up with a mom that didn't like taking pictures. She didn't like herself in pictures. What message does that send? She always was on a diet. What message does that send? Look, I'm working on my relationship with my mother. The whole world knows we have a complicated relationship. But what I'm not going to do is pretend that it's fine and then pass that on to my daughter. We've got to start a, start breaking down this like, oh, it's private. It's secret. no. We come from enslaved people who have issues that they never got to deal with. We, and I know you come from a uh, mixed parents, right? We are free compared to anybody that came before us. We are free. It is, we should take it upon ourselves to break those curses all the way, to have those open and honest discussions with our babies so that they can walk the world without it knocking them down. Yeah. And I, and I tried to, you know, I, I didn't certainly get like the generational curses just from the trauma that was inflicted on in our communities. One way that it affected me very personally is I don't have any family from my mother's side, like virtually none because my grandmother, um, you know, the family lore, and there's not a lot of, of documentation of this, but family lore is that she ran away from home around 14, went from the South to Boston. And so she basically like my family tree pretty much ends with my grandmother on my father's side, my father's first generation Italian immigrant, I know them all. I knew my grandmother. I got cousins on cousins on cousins. I can trace the family lineage many, 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 many generations. And I often think about how I'm robbed of that on my Black side because of the traumas that were inflicted on um, you know that side of the family. So we're, you know, we're, we're a work in progress, but kind of tying this back to the beginning, 
we can celebrate where we are because we are in a time when we can have these conversations about spiritual and emotional health where mental health is not nearly as stigmatized as it used to be. And in fact, I think now attending to your mental health is celebrated and respected. That's really a beautiful thing that I can, I can tell somebody, you know, I'm not going to be on email for a while because I have some things I need to take care of in my spirit and that that's okay. That's a, a beautiful time to be in where we can talk about these things. Exactly why I wish that there were more programs that highlighted all the fabulous, powerful, light-filled things happening in the world. And there are some. The fact that our culture has come so far, the fact that when you look at the most accomplished in so many different fields, they're brown people. We don't talk about that. The fact that a lot of the things that were invented, and this goes, we're not going to get into CRT, but what are you so scared of? <laughs> like the fact that your history books teach us lies and half-truths, because one of the most incredible books that I tell everybody about, and you probably, you might have it, is the one that was written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I can't remember the title. It's like, what world is this or something? But it's a book filled, and it's for kids, filled with Black inventors from the ironing board to the stoplight. to the, It is filled with all the accomplishments that Black people have made in this country and worldwide because the world is using items. So when we talk about CRT, it's not about we want to make your kids feel guilty, which is a guilty conscience, obviously, right? It's coming from a place of guilt. But we want to just even the playing field and let you know that the narratives you've heard about Black people not participating, they're just on welfare. It's just a bold-faced lie. There are so many accomplishments that Latinos and Asians and Black people have made, which will, once you have a picture of that, then you understand that all of us belong here and you can have a better approach to life, to life. What are you teaching your children about this time right now when they're going to school, they're hearing things from their friends whose parents might be listening to news programs we don't necessarily agree with, who are hearing very negative, very controversial ideals, and then carrying that with them to school and having conversations with your kids. You know, it's hard because my kids go to a predominantly white school and it's, a, it's an amazing school. It's an amazing community, but it is very hard being the only or one of few and that's been my role my entire life. So I know how it feels. You know, I was the only in almost all of my classes growing up. I was the only in almost every newsroom that I ever worked in. And so I know I was the only in almost every, you know, those cycle, very boot camp. Like I'm always of one or one of two. You know, if there's three in the room, I'm yes. like, what's going on? Yes. So I know how that feels. I know that the messaging that my kids are getting, even though it is not in any way intentional or direct, that the kind of the subliminal messaging of cultural importance of, you know, the, the things that are valued and the things that they know and the things they don't know, that it's all coming from a white gaze. It's all coming through a white lens. And that's what's most important to me is making sure that they understand that we have a unique and very rich culture that is just as valuable as the culture that they are most often exposed to. I try to highlight Black excellence as often as possible. I mean, we have a list of queens in our house. There's, you know, Beyonce, Queen Beyonce, Queen Rihanna, Queen Serena. You know, we got all the queens. 
there's, you know, wall in our house of all these, it's amazing. What is this artist's name? Oh gosh, I got to remember before we go, she does these amazing pictures of black figures, but then she dresses them in African print clothing. So like Frederick Douglass, you know, Martin Luther King, like some views, like historical figures, but then also contemporary figures. So we have a whole wall of them and I have my kids go through, they have to tell me who everybody is. I'm like, who's this? What did they do? Who's this? What did they do? So they're, they're getting there. And, you know, Langston Hughes is on that wall. Langston Hughes lived like a couple blocks away from where we are right now. So that's also like trying to remind them of Harlem and its role in the world and, and our, our excellence and our contributions to the world. So I just really try to focus on the excellence and making sure they know that we are excellent and we have contributed so much to this country and this world and this city and try to really focus in and lean on, lean on that. I think that I get in my feelings a little bit about that. I too, predominantly white school growing up, private school here in Los Angeles, carried that. Like I know what that feels like, but I also know the better education is usually in those situations, right? And I also know education will set us all free. So I really grappled with, do I want to send my daughter through that same experience? So what did you decide? I did. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hard choice to make. I took it upon myself and I said, you know what? Being a black mom means that we have to supplement their education. That's just what it is. Can't expect the school systems to feed them fully. They feed them about 75% and the other 25% educationally is on us. What's interesting is, you know, Charles Blow, the journalist, he's a New York Times columnist. One of the things that he has talked about, and, and he has a book out as well, that he, he talked about in his book is kind of the, the cost of being the only. And the perspective that he has is, you know, he grew up in an area of Black excellence where his Blackness was celebrated because that was the community. And he was so filled by that. And he has seen his children be in predominantly white spaces and he's seen the cost to them. And so it really raises an interesting question as to, well, is the cost worth it? Is being totally you know, valued and validated and always affirmed, is the value of that perhaps greater than, you know, whatever the difference in the education is? And I, and I don't know the answer to that. Because I would be, in some worlds, I think it would be better off to just get them uh, to supplement their education, like literally, like with a tutor on the weekends or on weeknights or whatever the case may be, but to have them in an environment where they're always celebrated. Because, I mean, we know how, I mean, you've been to NABJ, right? The National Association of Black Journalists Convention. When I come back from those conventions, I feel rejuvenated. I feel recharged. I feel valued. I feel supported. And that's real. So I always wonder, well, well, how much could I accomplish if I always felt that way? So that's something that I really struggle with. I mean, we're not going to make that change. Our kids are where they are. We're very lucky to have them in excellent schools. I don't take that for granted. But, you know, I, I do struggle with it, that I wish they, they were affirmed more often. Well, I supplement a lot. We have this beautiful organization created by Lisa Johnson. She is actually Magic Johnson's daughter-in-law. And she created this organization called PSV, Private School Village, where all of the people who identify as Black are a part of this organization 
whose kids go to private school. So we go to beach outings. We have educational Zooms. So sixth graders are talking about digital responsibility and sex education through a Black lens, as well as third graders have their own pod. So that's a really beautiful way to supplement. There are all kinds of organizations popping up all over the country. But when they do, we have to search for them and we really need to lean in, donate, be a part of it, and really participate because our kids benefit so beautifully from it. We cannot just assume that our schools are going to take care of it. So yes, we still don't know because we're only, what, two and a half generations outside of civil rights. We're very close to it. And I, and I, I think that we like to think we're farther from a lot of these things than we are. And if the Trump era taught us anything, it's that it's right under the surface and all it takes is the right or wrong antagonist to just, you know, pop that, that lid off. And we find ourselves right back where we always were. You know, I look at those old photos of the, the protest with black men and those signs saying, I am a man. And today we're saying Black Lives Matter. We spent all this time just affirming our humanity. I mean, we're still in the same exact place. And, you know, there have been advances, but when we're still having to affirm our humanity, it just shows you how much more work we have to do. Uh, thank you, Mara, for an incredible conversation. One of the things I'm never, ever going to forget is your mom and you looking in the mirror for your daughter and being like, I'm a bad bitch. Yes. I love that so much. I think moms could take that away. That's a really good tip to show your daughters like complete unapologetic love for self. Our girls, they feed off of that so much. So I love that tip. And Mara, you have an invitation to come back anytime. I'm going to do more listening next time because I really talked her head off. You guys, I really did. I had to edit it so much because I just love talking to really dope women that manifest such incredible lives for themselves. You can Google her. There's some really incredible stories on the internet about how she was looking for a job. And so she just decided to go to Jordan for three months and go to Northern Africa and Syria and, and produce, edit, and package incredible stories from another region. It reminded me that we have to create our own opportunities. She didn't wait for anybody else. She went out and did it and invested in herself. Thank you so much, Mara. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your stories. There's so many. What is it? The Diana Ross story. (laughs) Diana Ross is the original honey of the quick change, the fabulosity, the hair and everything else. Thank you for being unapologetically you, Mara. And thank you to Jenny Media for always holding me down. Now, remember that we just hit our one year mark last week and we just are going to keep on rolling through. I'm really excited about some live events coming up where we can all get together and have some impactful conversations. We're going to have some retreats. So make sure you are subscribed. Go to TanikaRay.com where there's a pop-up. You can subscribe right there. You can always go to my link tree and subscribe, stay connected so that we can continue to lean on each other and share this experience of motherhood, girlfriendhood, and womanhood all while going through a crazy time in the world. I love you guys deeply, madly, and I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for hanging out, Mama. I know how little time we have in our day to honor ourselves, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. 
make sure you click like, rate, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about today's show and what you want to hear going forward. Remember, mommying is a gift and you're doing a kick-ass job. So, woosah and mama stay. <laughs>